Good morning. Do you like gifts? If you like uh, gifts, you're uh, in for a treat today. We'll be talking about a gift, a gift that you've already received. And uh, usually when we talk about gift, we think about uh, the gift of salvation. We, we receive our salvation as a gift. We don't deserve to go to heaven, and yet God offers it to us as a gift. Today, we will not talk about that gift. We'll talk about a different gift that each of us received. Go ahead and turn to our passage today. It's Ephesians chapter 4. I've been uh, learned some about uh, gifts when I went to uh, the Growing Kids God's Way class that we offered some years ago. So I took it. Somebody else offered it. And one of the things you learn about there is the love languages and the fact that uh, people understand love in different ways. I may want to show love to my wife or to my child in a particular way because I think that's a loving thing to do. And yet, if they have a different love language, they may not understand that. If I uh, you know, want to give them a hug, you know, I think that's a very loving thing to do. But uh, I have at least one child who doesn't have that particular love language. And giving her a hug doesn't necessarily communicate love to her. And so it's important to know what the love languages are of your children so you could show them that you love them in the most effective way. And uh, one of the love languages is gift giving. We give gifts to show someone that we love them. And uh, certainly Christ, we'll see, gave us a gift because he loves us and he has something good intended for us in this gift we'll be talking about. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be evangelists, and sorry, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head who is 
who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, I confess this is one of those really run-on sentences that can be sometimes difficult to understand in the first reading, so don't feel bad if you had a hard time getting it all the first time. We'll spend the rest of the hour trying to break it up into uh, sizable chunks so we can understand what it says. So the first verse we have, verse 7, talks about this gift that Christ gives us. And he tells us a number of things about the gift. First of all, it says that to each one of us, this gift is given to each and every one of us. No exception in this room. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, and I apologize if you're not, this message is not for you. This is really a message for believers. But if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have received a gift from him. No exception. Each one of us. Second thing we learn about the gift is that it's by grace. By grace means unmerited favor. We didn't do anything to deserve this gift. Kind of like salvation was saved by grace, which means we didn't do anything to deserve to go to heaven. Jesus did it all. Same thing with this gift. We didn't do anything to deserve it, so don't worry about it. If you're not particularly deserving, you still have this gift. Uh, third thing we learn in verse 7 is it was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. When I hear the word measure, I think of my wife baking a cake, and she takes a measuring cup, and she pours into it the flour or the sugar or whatever goes into the cake, and she adds just the right amounts, and if she doesn't, the cake will not come out right. It's the same with the gift of Christ. He measures it to each and every one of us, and we'll see later, we each gift different gifts, different quantities of different gifts, but Christ has a particular purpose in giving it to us. He wants the cake to come out right. Now, in this case, it's not the cake, it's the church. He measures just the right amount of gift to each and every one of us so that the church comes out right. And if I may add to that, that the church comes out beautiful. Okay, so that was our first verse. We then enter into uh, verses that are a little bit more difficult to understand, verses 8 through 10. Paul turns and he brings out a prophecy that was spoken beforehand that Christ is fulfilling in the giving of the gift. So he says, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. This is a verse from the Old Testament that prophesies Christ giving the gifts to the church. And if we would turn to that verse, we would learn that it, it talks about the giving of the gifts that were used for the building of Solomon Temple. Uh, King David and uh, many of the other men in Israel gave abundantly from the treasures that they accumulated. If you remember, King David was a, a great king, really the greatest king in the history of Israel. Solomon, in some way, enjoyed all the wealth and all the peace that King David uh, achieved by 
conquering the neighboring kingdoms. And all that wealth of all the neighboring kingdoms David had and the other men of Israel, and they gave those gifts for the building of the Temple of Solomon. And uh, some, some people have tried to calculate the amount of money that, that uh, the materials, the gold and the silver and precious stones that they used was worth, and they came out to the neighborhood of $100 billion is the amount of material, the value of the materials that went into the building of the temple. Now, it's interesting. That's the building of the first temple, Solomon. It's interesting to me that every time that the house of God or a temple of God is built, God provides treasures for the building of it. So in the case of, of Solomon's temple, King David conquered his lands. All these treasures was gathered and was available to make that temple beautiful. Well, when the tabernacle was built, if you remember, the nation of Israel just came out of Egypt, and as they came out of Egypt, they literally pillaged the land. So all the treasures of Egypt were carried by Israel, and so when the tabernacle, tabernacle was built, and God specified how it was to be built with gold and everything, it was all there. God has provided the gifts that they needed to give so that the tabernacle will be beautiful. If we uh, skip uh, forward next to the building of the second temple, so the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. Israel then went to build another temple after they came back from exile. And uh, this is what Ezra said about it in, in uh, Ezra 7.27. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart, to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And if we went back in the chapter, we'll see that Ezra went to the king of Persia at the time. And he told him, I want to go back to uh, the land of Judah, to the city of Jerusalem, and rebuild the temple that was destroyed. And King Artaxerxes and all his wealthy counselors, so he was the emperor of you know, a huge stretch of land, they were so excited by what uh, Ezra told them about the temple of God that they wanted to give. So the king actually gave of his treasury and all his counselors gave of their treasuries. And so when Ezra went to building the second temple, he had all these treasures that he carried with him to make that temple beautiful. And I tell you today that the gifts that God has given to the church are designed to make the church beautiful. God gave them to you and he gave them to me for the purpose of making his house a beautiful place. Now, in those days, it was a building. The temple was a building. I don't know if we saw a picture behind me, but uh, it was a building that was coated with gold. That was the beauty of it. The temple of the Lord today is not a building. We're told in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You are the temple of God. And he wants you to be beautiful for him to be in. And that is why Christ gave you a gift. Um, just two more thoughts about the value of this gift that God has given to us in the next two verses. 
verse uh, 9 talks about, now this he ascended, what does it mean but he, that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He talked about the fact that Christ couldn't just give us the gifts by staying in heaven. He actually had to come down to the earth and go down to the cross in order for us to be given these gifts. So when you think about the value of that gift, think about the cost that it cost Christ to give it to us. Second thought about the value of this gift is where it came from. In order for Christ to obtain this gift, we hear in verse 10 that he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Uh, sorry to, to kind of spill the beans, but it was my cousin's birthday a week ago. And uh, we encouraged my son, Joey, to make her a card. She hasn't received it yet. So it's kind of a spoiling a surprise here, but we wanted him to have a, a gift for her. So I suggested he draw something for her. And again, this is Joey. He's my four-year-old son. He, have, he has somewhat of a limited capacity of what he can do. But, you know, this is what he drew. So happy birthday, Aww. Wendy. <laughs> and, you know, you'd stare about it, and you kind of wonder what it is. And he explained to me that it's a toy that shoots little balls. But, you know, not really easy to see. But uh, what would you expect? You know, it's a gift, you know, that he gave. And if my cousin would receive the gift, she would receive it graciously. She would realize, well, this is what he can do. This is how he shows, he shows love. Now, if I would give her a gift, and I would give her that, she'd be kind of disappointed, <laughs> right? Because I can give better gifts, right? Now, let's say it wasn't me that was her cousin, but Bill Gates. And, uh, you know, Bill Gates gave her a birthday present. She'd expect a pretty nice present because of who it comes from. Well, think about this. The gift that you received from Christ comes from the throne of God. That is how great that gift is. <clears throat> we next have for us in verse 11 an example of this gift, and I'm going to ask for uh, maybe a couple of assistants here. We'll look at an example of these gifts that God gives. As I said, he gives different gifts uh, to, to each of us. And uh, we have, uh, as an example for us, in verse 11, we have uh, a sum of the list. We have apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. So those are some of the gifts. And that, that starts giving you an idea, if you haven't yet uh, realized what we're talking about as far as this gift. We often refer to this as spiritual gifts. They've been taught from the pulpit here before. Uh, I'm sure others have done a better job as far as describing them. Uh, so this is not going to be a very uh, thorough teaching about the different gifts of the Spirit, just trying to give us some examples of what these gifts are. And remember that you received one or more of these gifts. And uh, God wants you to use these gifts to beautify his temple or the body of Christ. So that's why we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at his gifts. So, 
Uh, just to, to give you a little bit of a, of a help as you look at them, uh, I did uh, some uh, color coding. And uh, these gifts fall into perhaps three major groups, these spiritual gifts that God gives us. Uh, they fall into a foundational gifts group, a speaking gifts, and ministering gifts. Now, foundational gifts are gifts that God used for the founding of the church. There were some unusual circumstances when the church were founded that required uh, some special gifts. For example, apostles were the people that uh, Christ has given the responsibility to go and be, if you would, his ambassadors and basically say to people the words that Jesus himself would say to people because Jesus wasn't present, the apostles were. So they were literally his messengers. They received direct messages from the Lord, and now they would go and tell people exactly the message that the Lord wanted them to hear. Uh, prophets are similar in that they were given uh, by divine inspiration from God new revealed truths that up to that point were not known to the church or to the people of God. And uh, the reason these are foundational is that now we have this. We have a complete Bible. We have the New Testament in our Bible. Remember, in those days, they did not have the New Testament. They couldn't turn around and find out what Jesus, who Jesus was and what Jesus did uh, and all the things that Jesus wanted them to do. They didn't have that, and that's why they needed these apostles and prophets. New truths were being revealed. Well, now they're all recorded for us in this book, so we don't have apostles and we don't have prophets today. We have the Bible, the complete Bible. Uh, along the same line, uh, there were some gifts that were uh, miraculous, uh, impossible to happen. Uh, Paul, he was an apostle, for example, and you could take a, a handkerchief that Paul used to wipe the sweat off his brow, and you take it to another town, and people would touch it and get healed. And the reason for it was God wanted people to know where the truth was. Remember, there was a, a, the general... Uh, Jewish body at the time that God has used for ages as the revelation of truth to mankind. It came from the Jews. Jesus could say salvation was of the Jews because God revealed it first to them and from them it went to the rest of the world. Well, now you have the Jews divided. You had the Jews that believed in Jesus and followed Jesus and taught what Jesus said and then you had the other Jews that said, no, 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 that's not the truth. How would you know which of them is speaking the truth? They might, might both sound well and both have strong arguments to defend their position. Well, God was making it very clear who, was, uh, who were the people who were teaching the truth by marking them with miraculous events. The rabbis that were teaching Jesus was not the Messiah. If you took their handkerchief and let people touch it, nothing would happen. But if you took Paul's handkerchief, people were getting healed. Which one is telling you the truth? You know, which hand has the marble? That's what God was doing with the miracles. That's the purpose. And again, because, because uh, we now have the established word of God, we have the historical evidence. If you look in the scriptures, miracles are unusual. People did not go through, in biblical times doing miracles left and right. There were just a few times where God wanted very clear for people to know which way the truth was going, and he used miracles to testify of that. In fact, the, the word miracle in Hebrew is nes, which is why we called uh, my, my daughter Nesya, which means miracle of the Lord. 
Well, Nes literally means banner. It was like the banner of the Lord. You'd know which way the army was moving or the leader because you saw the banner moving. In the same way, the miracles of God were like his banner to show the way that he was going. So foundational gifts, we don't have them today. Okay, speaking gifts. Uh, I have uh, examples of speaking gifts uh, colored in blue. Uh, we have like teaching, exhortation, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Uh, I may have some miscolored. Maybe that was fixed over there. I apologize. Evangelists, uh, pastors, uh, teachers. These are all people who by speaking to you can uh, bring to you the blessings of God. The purpose of the gifts, again, is to minister to the body of Christ, as we will see. And those are gifts that are ministering by speaking. So you have teaching is pretty obvious. Explaining what the Bible teaches. That would be teaching. And uh, exhortation, for example, would be coming along someone and encouraging them. Someone that's not doing well and he needs a little bit of encouragement to do what they need to do or to be encouraged in the Lord. Coming alongside one and encouraging them, that's the gift of exhortation. Uh, evangelist a uh, special gift is to go to uh, people who have not heard the gospel and present to them the gospel in a way that they believe and they get saved. Or perhaps evangelists might be those who can come alongside and help us do a better job evangelizing, telling people, sharing the gospel with people. Pastors literally means shepherds, being able to help someone who's in need of counsel, helping uh, a believer make right choices in their lives. Okay, uh, the next type of gift is the ministering gifts, and uh, those are non-speaking ways of blessing others. I say acts of love uh, to build others. Some are more obvious than other giving. Well, that's giving to the Lord and, uh, and uh, providing for the work of God by giving financially uh, for it. Uh, leading or ruling, providing leadership, Showing mercy. Uh, Sharon was uh, sick with her first child. In fact, she was sick with all four of her children. But uh, it especially uh, got me when she was sick with her first. Actually, no, I think it was the second one that, that, that got to me more. When uh, the saints gathered around and helped us out. Uh, we had uh, a medic, and uh, he would come and uh, give my wife fluids because she couldn't keep her food down. And we had the saints making food and bringing it to our house. And uh, sometimes people coming and doing our laundry <laughs> or uh, taking care of our, our child, our first child. That was showing mercy upon us, gifts uh, that God uses to build up his body. Okay, so this is some examples uh, of spiritual gifts. Now, I know whenever we talk about this subject, there's always somebody in the back and maybe more than a single somebody who says, well, what, what is my spiritual gift? We say that God gives us spiritual gifts, but I don't know what mine is. Well, first of all, be assured you have one. On the basis of the word of God, you have a spiritual gift. Uh, second, what can you do to help yourself find what your spiritual gift is? Well, you could study what the Bible says about the spiritual gift. So, this is a good start. You, you saw a list of it. You now go and study what it means to have this spiritual gift. And by the way, this gift may have different manifestations. So what I'm doing now is teaching. So 
hopefully I have the gift of teaching and you're getting something out of it. But uh, there's other teachers here. There's teachers on the other divide of that world teaching our children or, or some of our children. Um, and uh, there may be uh, a Bible study going on in your work that you're teaching in. You may have an opportunity to spend time one-on-one with another believer and teach them. So teaching can come in many forms. All these gifts can, can come in many forms. So don't uh, limit your mind by what the gift exactly has to be, but explore them. Uh, second thing you can do, seek counsel. Maybe there's an older believer, more mature believer that knows you well, and you can go to them and ask them, what do you think my spiritual gift is? And maybe that older believer has seen something you haven't, and how you doing something uh, in particular was a great blessing to others. And they'll be able to point to you, well, I think this is your spiritual gift. This is how you bless other people. Uh, Third, and really in my mind the most important, experiment. So don't just sit there and study the Bible, which is good, and pray, which is good, and ask other people, which is good. They're all good things to do, but go out and try serving the Lord. And you'll find your spiritual gift when other people are being blessed by what you do, and you will feel fulfilled by what you do. Those are, to me, the two marks of a spiritual blessing. Other people will be blessed, you'll feel fulfilled. But you will never find that if you don't go out and try to serve the Lord in one or more of these ways. Uh, Just a fourth point. Don't limit your service to God by what you think your gift is. We don't all have the, the gift of evangelism but we're all called to go out and preach the gospel. We don't all have the gift of giving, but we're all asked to give for the Lord. And it could be that as you do these other things, which you don't think is your gift, you may stumble across your gift. But don't limit yourself to what you think your gift is. Okay, so that was kind of a whirlwind review of spiritual gifts. Next thing I want to think about is, or the text is teaching us about, is the purpose of this spiritual gift. And we're told in verse 12 that the spiritual gifts are for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So there's two things here, and really one leads to the other. But the first one is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My spiritual gift is designed to help you exercise your spiritual gift. An illustration that's used later in this chapter and in other places in the scripture is that of a human body. So uh, the body of Christ is like a human body. It has different members, and different members have different gifts. My fingers are very skilled. When I sit at the computer, I can type at whatever, 100 words per minute, So these fingers are very skilled. But these fingers will do me no good if my feet will not cooperate because I can't reach my computer. So in the same way, the body of Christ has many parts, and I may have a particular gift, and maybe it is the gift of teaching. But if certain things don't happen, I will not be an effective teacher. Let's say I'm discouraged one day over over something that happened in my life, and you happen to have the gift of exhortation, 
but you don't come and encourage me. Well, I'm not going to be a very effective teacher, you know, sitting here and moping and, you know, really feeling like, you know, the Lord is, is not uh, blessing me and not blessing you. I will not be a very effective teacher. So you applying your gift of exhortation to encourage me will enable me to teach better. Uh, I happen to get what's called a, a low blood sugar level if I don't eat for more than a couple of hours. If we didn't have uh, sisters or, I don't know, maybe brothers, you know, making cookies for me to enjoy out there before the meeting, I would not be a very effective speaker here. Uh, if, if we didn't have other people helping out and uh, teaching my kids or, or watching my baby, and I'd be here, you know, trying to hold my baby as I'm talking to you, I would not be a very effective teacher. I need you. I need the gifts God has given you in order to do my job, and you need my gift and the gifts of other people in order to do your job. We're a body. We're connected. Our gifts enable one another to exercise one another's gifts more effectively. I need you, and you need me. The second, which really leads from the first, which is the great purpose God has in giving the gift, it says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying is a fancy word for building. So God gave us spiritual gifts in order to build his body. Well, usually when we think about building the body of Christ or building the church, we think about, well, we need to increase increase the size of it. So we need to go out and win more souls for Christ. We need to have more believers. We want to fill this place. And believe me, we do want to fill this place, and we do want to see more believers coming. But that's not the chief thing that is spoken of here. The temple of God did not need $100 billion in order to contain the things that were in them. It needed the $100 billion because it was, you know, covered with gold on the inside and had all these other beautiful things. The church, the gifts that Christ gives the church are not just for the size, they're for the beauty of the church. God gave us spiritual gifts that you and I, that his church might be beautiful. Now, what does that mean? Because you look at me and you're wondering, where is this beauty? But... uh, if we look at the next, uh, the next three thoughts, um, we'll see what is meant by this beauty. What is it that Christ wanted to bring out in us through the spiritual gifts? What is it that edifying the body of Christ means? And that's contained for us in verse 13. <clears throat> and those three things there, it says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The first thing is faith. God wants me to have faith in him. And it's not talking about saving faith, because these are all believers. We are already believers. We already have saving faith. Saving faith is believing that Jesus died for my sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again. If I believe those things, I am saved. Praise God. But he wants us to have more faith than that. And uh, uh, maybe one illustration for that is a child. My relationship with my child as a father with my son, I am able to bless my son more. Our relationship is closer if my child trusts in me. 
If my child trusts in me, he can stand on a wall or even a branch of a tree and he can jump down and I'll catch him. And he gets to enjoy that fun thing that I'm sure all of us miss we don't get to do anymore. But if my son does not trust me, he will not do that. And he will miss on some of the blessings of being my son. In a similar way, God wants us to trust in him. And uh, an example of that is uh, a man called George Mueller. I think you guys have probably, some of you at least heard of a man named George Mueller. George Mueller uh, was a believer a couple of hundred years ago, and uh, he was studying the Bible, and uh, he was actually going to, I think, some sort of academy at the time, and he he became convinced of some of the truth of the scriptures that were not being practiced by the people of his days. For example, paid pastors. In those days, uh, it was assumed if you were a pastor or serving God full-time that you had a salary. And George Mueller felt that the Bible didn't talk about a salary for pastors or people who serve God. And so he said, no. He said, I will not accept the salary. And uh, he committed himself to just trusting the Lord to provide for him. As he gave himself full time to the work of the Lord, he trusted that God will provide him for him. And God provided for him and met all his needs. And then one day, George Mueller said, you know, I see a ministry here with these uh, homeless uh, children. Uh, I'd like to open up an orphanage and take care of these orphans. And so, again, he didn't have a salary, he didn't have any regular income, he just relied, again, on praying and asking God to provide for him, and he started by renting a house that had room for about 20 orphans, and uh, uh, some, not, people didn't just provide money for the house, they provided furnitures uh, by faith, by prayer. And they, some people came and offered themselves, and they said, we're willing to teach and take care of these orphans for you. And so he started with 20, and over the years, he trusted God for more and more until he had thousands of orphans who daily depended upon the provision of God by faith through prayer. And uh, he built, uh, there's a picture there, he, he built big buildings <laughs> by prayer, by faith. And, uh, and that was a great ministry that George Mueller had, is obviously ministering to the needs of these orphans, But really, the greatest ministry that George Mueller had and was in the last 15 years of his life was when he traveled around the world and spoke in church after church after church and shared what God has done for him by faith to enable other people to step by faith and trust that God will provide for them as they're serving him full time. And we've enjoyed that blessing in this church. There's been people in this church who served the Lord full-time and just trusted God to provide by faith for them. And uh, that's one of the reasons, one of the things that God wants to come out through the use of our gifts is us to grow in our faith. The first mark of beauty that God wants to see in you and me is trust in Him. And two, practice your spiritual gift will take faith because spiritual gifts are not about your natural ability, you using, excuse me, and you using your natural ability to serve God, it's about the supernatural ability that God gives you, which means you must step out by faith. 
If you will only do what you can do naturally, you're not using a spiritual gift, you're not expressing any faith, but if you're stepping out and doing things that are generally impossible for you to do by your own strength, you're demonstrating faith, and that example of faith will be used by God to build up the faith of others, by example. <clears throat> Two more beauty marks here. Uh, the next one. is the knowledge of the Son of God. So, 19, no, sorry, not 19, 2001, August 11. I got married to a beautiful woman. She's not here, so I can talk about her. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you could say, well, you know, now I know her because I'm married to her. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have to talk to her anymore because I know her, right? I'm married to her. Well, no, our relationship really just started at that point, 12 years ago, I think. <laughs> okay, the same thing with you and the Lord. Don't tell me that you know the Lord because you're saved. That was just the beginning of your relationship with God. He wants you to grow in that relationship. He wants you to know him more. Because it is as you know him more that you will appreciate him more and you'll be able to love him more. So he wants growth in that area. The next one, which uh, is related to it, he wants us to grow, verse 13, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God wants you to become more like him. God wants you to become more like Jesus, his son. And that's kind of an exceptional thing. Usually, husbands don't want their wives to look like them. Not so in the case of Christ or God. He wants us to be like him. I'm happy about that. Now, how, does that, how is that related to spiritual gifts? Well, I told you the story earlier of how people came and helped Sharon and me when we were down in our needs and we needed these acts of mercy. You didn't need to come to us at that time and tell us that God loved us because we could sense it by the love of the saints around us. As we demonstrate... As we use our spiritual gifts, we are literally acting as the hands and feet of Christ. And we reveal in our action what he is like. And as we reveal in our action what he is like, that's when we can sense and better know what he is like and better become what he is like. Uh, It says in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, but we all with unveiled faces... Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, When uh, a bride prepares for her wedding, she'll often look at the mirror and try to fix whatever blemishes she may have or feel she may have 
in her face so she'll look more beautiful uh, to her bridegroom. In our case, we don't look at the mirror. We look at the Lord. And as we see him better through the lives of others, that's how we become more like him. That's how we know him better. Okay, uh, moving on quickly. The last thing we have in this passage is a danger. In verse 14, we're told that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. As I was uh, having fellowship with some of the saints out there, a number of people commented how my four-year-old son, Joey, was growing. And uh, in about a month, he'll be in college. That's what someone said. <laughs> well, my wife, Jen, doesn't want that to happen. She, she, te- she told him, you know, I want you to always stay my little boy. So I'm not going to give you food anymore. <laughs> now, there's a problem. If you don't give him food anymore, he's not going to stay her little boy. Right? In the same way, we don't have the option as believers to stay immature. You can't just stay a newborn believer and not grow and think everything will be okay. Everything in this world that does not grow dies. And in this passage, the warning is that of false teachers. There, there, there are false teachers out there. <clears throat> and uh, if you don't grow in your faith in the Lord, in the knowledge of the Lord, and in the likeness of the Lord, you're vulnerable. And you'll go and someone will teach something and you'll say, that sounds great. And you'll follow that. You can't stay a newborn believer. You have to grow to be safe. And you can't depend on others to do it for you. You can't just come to church and listen and say, well, you know, I, I carefully chose a church where there's good teaching, and so that'll never happen to me. I don't have to worry about that. Or I'll grow because I'll keep hearing good teaching. That's not the case. It says in the next two verses, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What this verse is saying is that it takes each and every one of us for the effective working. You can't grow when you're not using your spiritual gifts. And I may not grow as effectively if you are not using your spiritual gift. We all have to come together and serve the Lord together for us to grow and enjoy the gifts he's given us to beautify the church. So just in our closing, when I give a gift to my children, my greatest hope is that they will use that gift. And uh, so the question for us today is, should you use the gift that God has given to you? And I know there's a temptation not to, and to say, well, you know, using my gift, that's a lot of work. 
You know, David had to give up those billions of dollars to build the temple. I mean, there is a cost associated with using the gifts God has given you. And, you know, I know I'm going to go to heaven, and when I go to heaven, well, you know, then, then, then I'll have all the faith, and uh, then I'll have the full knowledge of God, and then uh, I'll be perfectly in the image of Christ. And that's true. Don't get me wrong. All these things are true. All that will be yours in heaven. So why should you use your gifts? So I have three answers for you. The first one is the selfish answer. I need your gift. (laughs) Use your gift because I need it. If you don't exercise the gift God has given you, I will suffer. So please use your gift. And then I have an unselfish answer. Use the gift for your sake. Because if you don't use the gift God has given you, you will suffer. You will not enjoy what God has given you. But then there is the divine answer. Use your gift because God deserves a beautiful church. And he will not have his beautiful church if you don't use the gift he's given you to beautify it. Let's pray. Lord, we are amazed that you loved us so much to have entrusted to us these spiritual gifts. Lord, we confess we're not worthy and looking at ourselves and how ineffectively we sometimes are in, in uh, using them or not using it. We wonder, Lord, that you would even entrust such gifts to us that are so important to you for us to use. Help us, Lord, get out of our shell and uh, use the gifts that you have given to us for the uh, equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. And I know, Lord, that those people here who don't know what their spiritual gift is, and I pray for them, Lord, that you might make it known to them and that you might yet use them mightily for the building up and the beautifying of your temple, which is the church. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.